welcome back to the 85th episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Yes, that means we are rapidly approaching the 100th episode of the podcast. I kind of a little shocked. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of content. I'm sure that I'm going to do something special for the 100th episode, probably knowing me, something that is around the number 100 or things that, you know, centuries, anything related to the number 100. Now, leading up to the 100th episode, I'm thinking about doing something similar to what I did for the 49th and 50th episodes, which I did a best of episodes up until that point. And kind of the idea behind that was kind of celebrating some of the funnier moments of the show. Also, it's a really good way to expose potential new listeners to the better aspects of the podcast all in one mishmash. So there's a very good likelihood that the 98th and the 99th episodes, if not at least just the 99th episode, will be a best of the episodes between episode 50 and up to that point. No reason rehashing the best of stuff from the first 50 episodes because I've already done that. So I have a lot of updates for you this week, so I'm going to jump right into it. I will say this week is another camp week at school, as you've heard me talk about in the past. That's when there are long hours. However, I felt that this particular camp that they're doing is something that I've already done a bazillion times on a weekly basis, and we have newer staff that we would like to get trained on this type of camp, or rather this type of session, because we do it routinely. So I suggested to the owner, hey, maybe we should get some of these newer people to work the camp instead of me, because I don't really need this experience, and that will, you know, inundate them in tons of experience in just one week. So, hoorah! That means I'm not actually dealing with the schedule of camp week. Just my regular schedule. So I'm not super exhausted. Didn't have to go to bed crazy early last night. Won't have to go to bed crazy early tonight. Speaking of which, I am way ahead of the game on this episode. I am recording this pretty much a full week in advance. It is the Monday before when I will release this episode. So this is the same day that my last episode, Be Less Fat, was released. And speaking of that episode, I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. But I also want to point out, you know, one good thing about not doing the crazy camp week schedule is it's going to give me an opportunity opportunity to just further rest my voice. As you know, I've been struggling with it a little bit. It's been overused and overused and overused. It's getting better. I had a three and a half hour gig on Saturday night. And while going into that gig, my voice generally felt better than it has going into the gigs in previous weeks. I actually struggled more from a singing perspective than I did in the previous week. So that was weird. And I was having to be really selective with the songs that I was doing by the second half of the night. But looking forward to just getting a more of a chance to rest it this week with just a routine schedule and hoorah I don't even have any gigs this weekend so further rest for Jeffy's voice so next update I finished my novel that's right the novel I've been telling you about that it was something I started years and years ago didn't make it very far in kind of hit a wall and then I don't know maybe a couple months ago was like you know what I'm gonna try and pick this book back up and see if I can develop it and I flew flew through writing this book. It, I mean, it just came out of me. Oh, Such a cool, almost out-of-body experience when so much of the book is not anything that I expected to happen. It's just happening. The story is writing itself, and I am more or less just a stenographer of my own subconscious. Now, here comes the hard part for creative people like me. The creative part is done, but there's still a lot of work to be done in order to get this thing released and make all of that creative work and energy worthwhile. So I'm now in the first 
first pass of the editing process, and I'm not so much looking for like misspelled words or things like that because pretty much word processors, you know, Microsoft Word, I mean, even autocorrect in our texting daily lives, that handles a lot of that for the most part, whether it be grammatical or just simple spelling errors. But what I'm more or less looking for are things like continuity in the storyline, in names that I have used for people, character descriptions, and just general storytelling. Like one example was that I realized right when I started editing the novel that very early on, the first mention that I make to the main character's young daughter, Sophie, I referred to her as Sophia. Now, that could have been because when I wrote Sophia, that was years ago when I had started the book. Yes, I did read through what I had before I picked it back up, but maybe I just remembered it as Sophie moving forward, so I ended up just changing the one instance early on from Sophia to Sophie, and it's all better. But also now that I you know, have the book completely written, and I know how the entire story goes, how the entire story ends, it's actually allowing me, as I'm going through the review process, to add more to certain sections to better support things that are going to happen later in the story or better develop a character that maybe early on I didn't think was going to be as important and turns out, yeah, they are pretty important. But that, once again, goes back to what I'm talking about where initially I might think the story is going to be a certain way, a character is going to be a certain way, a situation is going to be a certain way, and it just doesn't turn out that way. Very, very cool stuff. So I'm pretty much like a month ahead of schedule. My goal was to finish writing the novel by the end of August. So here I am. I'm already 30% through the editing process only one week into the month of August. So who knows? I actually also came up with an idea. I've not materialized it yet, but I have an idea for for the cover art, but I do still have to get on Amazon and figure out all the formatting processes and how do I actually convert what I have in a Word document into a book layout. That's why I haven't designed the cover yet because I don't know what size and dimensions I need to design the cover for. But very excited to have that completed. It felt like a huge accomplishment for me and I'm going to be extremely diligent and make sure that I stay on top of the more tedious work that is now to follow and make sure that this novel becomes an absolute reality. All right, so another thing I want to discuss as an update that I mentioned last week where I realized that in Spotify, my episodes that have the word COVID in it, typically from 2020 and early 2021, I started to notice that they have this little blue clickable banner above them that says learn more about COVID-19. And just as I presumed, I did a little bit more digging in the past week and realized that, yes, when you click on that link, it takes you to a Spotify landing page where there are a bunch of other podcasts that you can listen to that are COVID-specific. Now, as I've also mentioned, I don't think Spotify is an expert in science, medicine, or anything COVID-related, so how they're able to divert people that are seeing just my podcast title to what they consider to be useful information, I don't know. Don't really trust that. Seems a little agenda-driven. Also, they are the only platform that I can find that is doing this with my podcast. Apple, Google, none of them are doing it. But I was wondering to myself last week when I was discussing this on the podcast, because it kind of occurred to me as I was just talking about it, but I hadn't really done the research, but I thought, this is going to be cyclical because certainly the podcasts that they're linking you to that are directly about COVID, those certainly are being slapped with that learn more about COVID-19 clickable banner, and sure as shit, they are. And when you click it, it takes you right back to that landing page. So it is just a vicious cycle of going back to the same 
landing page. Now, here's another thing I noticed. Up until recording my episode last week, the only episodes of mine that had this little blue banner were episodes that had the word COVID in the title. That is not the case anymore. I realized that my Pyromania episode from several weeks ago now also has that banner. There's nothing about COVID in the title. There's nothing about COVID in the description of the podcast. I didn't bother to check the hashtags that I'm using, maybe, but I was like trying to think, what did I even mention about COVID on that episode? So I gave it a quick listen back, and what had happened was in this early section of the episode where I'm kind of giving you updates before diving into my topic, I was bitching about clickbait and deceiving headlines and articles trying to get you to click onto articles that really didn't have anything to do nearly to the impact of what the headline indicated. And I was bitching about how at the time there were new articles and headlines coming out about this new strain of COVID and how deadly it was going to be, which I didn't click those links because I'm not going to give them any of my money off of my clickbait. They can fuck themselves. But that more or less lets me know that Spotify is now starting to comb through, do some kind of scan, I guess, of the spoken word on my episodes. And if they detect any discussion about COVID, they're going to slap that learn more about COVID-19 banner above my episodes. I want to clarify as well that while I was bitching about headlines about COVID and clickbait, COVID articles was only a portion of what I was bitching about in regard to clickbait and misleading headlines. I at no point in that episode actually discussed anything about COVID, simply referenced the word COVID, which makes me wonder now that I've just said the word COVID multiple times, is this episode going to be slapped with one of those blue learn about COVID-19 banners, even though at no point in the podcast am I actually talking about COVID. Kind of goes back to one of my earlier episodes where I was discussing the sensitivity that people have to simply hearing words being used, even though that word may not be used in any kind of negative context. Like, for example, if I were to say the word retarded, just referencing the word retarded, not referring to a person, not being disrespectful, not being hateful. If I just use that word, a lot of people are like, oh my God, did he just say what I think he said? And if I see a COVID warning or banner on this episode, then I'm going to know that Spotify is a thin-skinned, butt-hurt, algorithm-driven platform with their own little agenda. And of course, you know, I worry a little bit about sitting here slamming Spotify. Not the first time I've done this, especially, you know, during the whole Neil Young and Joe Rogan debacle that happened over free speech, which speaking of free speech, if they're slapping you know banners on my episodes, they're not really allowing me to have free speech. They're saying, well, if he's going to even talk about this or mention the word, God forbid, then we feel a need to be responsible and point you somewhere that might be better information. But calling out Spotify in a negative way, I don't want to lose my presence on the Spotify platform. And, you know, if they pulled me just simply because I was saying I didn't care for the way that they're handling this, then that would absolutely be another example of how they are infringing upon free speech. And going to be honest, if Spotify yanked my podcast because of issues or discussions this minor, that could be pretty good PR for me. I mean, might make other people be like, hey, I want to hear more about this Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast that Spotify thought was NSFW. So all that to say, if you listen to me on Spotify and one week you go to listen and I'm not 
not there? Well, this is probably why, or this is part of the reason why. But I want you to know in advance, I am on plenty of other platforms. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon. Anyway, you can find me plenty of other places. So just be warned, Spotify might take umbrage with some of the things I'm having to say about them being a non-supporter of free speech and a little bit of a dickhead. So the last update I want to provide is follow up on my last episode, my Be Less Fat episode, where I talked about how, you know, I'm getting some titties and I need to start working out. I need to start being more disciplined, watching what I eat and try and get myself at least down out of the obese range from a BMI perspective and into the good enough overweight range. And also ideally, you know, lower the cup size on Jeff's big titties. Now sit down and show me your tits. I am proud to say that I I have done my weightlifting workout every single day since I started it early last week. The only exception was the day that I had a gig. And main reason being is because I worked at the school all day long, had about 40 minutes when I got home to eat really quick, load my car up with equipment, and then go unload the car, set up, play for three and a half hours, tear down my equipment, load the car, drive home, unload the car, at which point it was now about 1, 1.30 in the morning. And honestly, I did at least as much of a workout just in my gig and carrying the equipment as I would have gotten by doing my weightlifting thing that I'm doing at home. But I have been consistent. I've actually already increased my reps. I was doing originally, you know, 10 bench press reps, 10 tricep pull downs, and 10 bicep curls with free weights, followed by 25 crunches. And then I would do that entire thing three times every night. I am now at a point where I have added a whole new little workout, a lat pull down, so seated and kind of pulling the bar down to the back of my neck, and I'm now up to doing 12 reps of everything and 33 crunches, and on the final set, I actually do 34 crunches just to make it a nice even 100 crunches every night. I will tell you that within just a couple days, I already started to notice a difference. As far as the scale tells me, I've only lost one pound. Now, kind of makes sense because as we all know, muscle weighs more than fat, so since I'm not doing a lot of aerobic stuff at this point and I'm doing more weight lifting, the fact that I'm even maintaining and losing a pound is a good thing. Also, I'm happy to announce that my titties are looking less and less like titties and more like actual pecs, and that happened really fast because it just started tightening everything up as the muscles were being reawakened and used for the first time in a long time. I don't know that my gut has gotten any smaller, but it looks smaller just because it's tighter. My biceps also noticeably more firm even when I'm not flexing them, so already the payoff has been pretty decent. Also, I have been extremely strict and disciplined with my diet, eating a lot of lettuce wraps, a lot of lettuce wraps, not snacking on pretty much anything, and for the most part, I have almost completely eliminated carbs from my diet in the last week. So I will continue to keep you updated as these titties shrink and hopefully my BMI inches its way a little further down toward overweight and out of the emergency obese zone. But I also thought this positive reinforcement of how my first week has gone might encourage some of you that heard some of my suggestions to consider giving it a shot on your own if you have things that you want to change about your fatness. (laughs) 
All right, goodness. Like I said, lots and lots of updates. So before we move into the topic, I want to remind everybody that you can follow me on social media at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Jeff Becomes Jeff. You can also visit my website to find out more about my Etsy store or my original music by going to jeffshafer.com, J-E-F-S-H-A-F-F-E-R.com. So let's talk about the topic of the week, how to rewrite history. So the catalyst for this topic is actually one that kind of popped up in my head weeks ago when one of my vocal students at the school mentioned that she was going to see a concert. And I said, oh, what concert are you going to? Because she's only 12 years old and it would be her first concert. And she was really excited about it. And she said, the chicks. I'm like, who in the hell are the chicks? I'm just thinking it must be maybe some new pop group or something. And I was trying to work with her on vocal harmonies at the time and I said well what's your favorite song by the chicks let's listen to it and let's see if there's any harmonies in it and this would be a good way for you using a song that you know very well and that you like a lot to work on your harmonies and she said wide open spaces and immediately I'm like man that sounds familiar and then I open it on Spotify yes the evil Spotify But that is what the school uses uh, from a licensing perspective to make sure that they are covered when it comes to copyrights. But I look at the song and I see the picture and I'm like, this looks really familiar too. And then I play it. I'm like, I've heard this before. And then it occurred to me, oh yeah, the chicks, the Dixie chicks. I had completely forgotten that the Dixie chicks had changed their name in the past. And I knew it probably had something to do with not wanting to sound racist because the word Dixie sounds Southern. And there's been a lot of, you know, things with Black Lives Matters in the last several years that could cause people to feel like they need to be a little bit more tender in their word choices. Your words hurt me so much. But I did a little research, surprise, surprise, and it looks like that the Dixie Chicks changed their name on June 25th, 2020 in the wake of the police killing of George Floyd. And they absolutely openly admitted that they were making the change because they felt like there might be racist connotations to the name the Dixie Chicks and that the George Floyd killing was an eye opener and they couldn't support that anymore. Oh, okay. But before this, it was perfectly fine to go around with what you knew was a name with racist connotations. Additionally, upon announcing the change of their name to the Chicks, horrible name, by the way, they also released a song in a video called March March, which is all about civil rights and equality. Now, not that I have an issue with that, but it also kind of seems like the fact that the Dixie Chicks changed their name to the Chicks, made a big public announcement about it on the heels of the George Floyd killing, you know, kind of stealing the spotlight off the actual discussion to say oh look at us and how sensitive we are and then released a new song i don't know kind of seems like a little bit of a money grab if you ask me a little bit too planned and calculated to have all of this happen at once wasn't just a name change to try and support being less racist but oh by the way we got uh, something you can go download or watch on youtube which we are going to profit off hand over fist I'm sure black people were so grateful to these white country girls for profiting off of the struggle of black Americans and police brutality. Yes, I am speaking sarcastically. So, how bad is the word Dixie? How racist is it that they couldn't, just simply could not go on with that in their name? Basically, Dixie is a geographical term referring to the Mason-Dixon line. Now, this was a line drawn during the Civil War. Those on the north side of the line 
supposedly were the ones who were anti-slavery. Those on the south side of the line, pro-slavery. I'm sure there were people on the north side of the line that still wanted slavery. Sure, there were people on the south side of the line that didn't agree with slavery, considering the fact that south of the line included half of the state of Delaware. It included Washington, D.C. I thought those were more progressive areas where Abraham Lincoln lived at the time, but he was technically south of the Mason-Dixon line. Does that make him a racist pro-slavery asshole by default? No. Also, that line is pretty high on the map. It is basically every state south of Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania. So just about the majority of the country in the eastern half of the country, which is pretty much the main area of the country that was populated at the time. But again, it's a geographical term and kind of by saying we can't have the word Dixie in our name because it would imply racism. Well, Dixie Chicks kind of just implied that everybody that lives south of Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Indiana, you're all a bunch of racists. Way to go, chicks. You know, this also made me wonder about Dixie cups. You know, those little paper cups that you use in the bathroom to rinse your mouth after you brush your teeth. I was like, well, certainly Dixie cups must have changed the name of their company, realizing how horribly offensive and racist this is, and especially aware that I'm sure there are a lot of African-American families that have these cups in their bathrooms. God forbid these African-American children are rinsing their mouth every morning and night with a spittoon filled with racism. No, sorry, that would be incorrect. Dixie Cups are still called Dixie Cups. They were like, yeah, it's fine. It's just the name. We're not racist. Context, people. Context. But, you know, the reason I'm bringing this up in regard to the idea of rewriting history is because now that we live in this world of streaming services and very little physical media actually being sold, whether it be DVDs, VHS especially, cassette tapes, CDs, but the chicks, now, if you go look at Wide Open Spaces, which was released by the Dixie Chicks, not the chicks, but if you go look at that on Apple Music or Spotify, it says... Wide Open Spaces by The Chicks. They were able to retroactively go back and change everything in their catalog to now be by The Chicks. They have rewritten history and completely erased The Dixie Chicks from their history, making it appear as if they never released a single song or album as The Dixie Chicks. Now, you can do that with digital media, but you cannot do that with like a CD. Anybody who owned a CD of The Dixie Chicks from the past, when they changed their name, the cover art on that CD case did not magically change and the word Dixie just kind of vanished like Marty McFly's brother and sister in the photo in Back to the Future. Great Scott! Let me see that photograph again of your brother. Just as I thought. This proves my theory. Look at your brother. His head's gone. It's like it's like he's been erased. Erased from existence. But doing this in a digital platform really does kind of rewrite history. I'm going to be honest. I kind of partook in rewriting some history just a couple weeks ago when I changed the graphic image for my podcast on streaming platforms. I thought I needed something a little more representative of the show, a little more consistent with other comedy podcasts, artwork that I've seen out there, just, you know, more or less a marketing thing. But I was able to go change the image for all of my episodes. 
episodes, including the 80-some episodes that I had released prior with completely different artwork. So now if you go look at my podcast, you will never see that old artwork associated with any of my old podcasts. So to an extent, just like the Dixie Chicks, I'm sorry, the Chicks, I rewrote history and anybody who stumbles upon my podcast for the first time now will just assume that all of my podcasts were released with that artwork. Another group right around the time as the Dixie Chicks, in fact, in the same month, another country group, Lady Antebellum, they decided, hey, look at all the PR and attention the Dixie Chicks, I mean, the Chicks are getting. Maybe we should try something similar or, you know, identical. Lady Antebellum changed their name from Lady Antebellum to Lady A because they thought Antebellum is, you know, maybe a word that would be associated with slavery and the Civil War. It is not a word that is associated with hatred, with bigotry, with racism at all. In fact, the word antebellum simply means before a war. It doesn't even have a specific tie to the Civil War. But a lot of people would consider antebellum to mean people who were pro-slavery because that was a time prior to the Civil War. That was an antebellum. But just like the chicks... Lady Antebellum probably wasn't exactly top in the charts at the time, and this was a great opportunity to use the plight and struggle and death of the black society at the hands of police to try and, you know, get their white faces put in the news a little bit more, maybe get a little bit of extra coin put in their pocket. Good for you, Lady A. One thing I did find when looking this stuff up was that Lady Antebellum said when they made the name change that they never intended for their name to be racist. Well, good, because it's not, you idiots. But they had had their eyes opened by the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters movement. I'm going to say if it was never intended to be racist and you change it in the wake of a racial uprising, you're kind of admitting to the fact that it was racist in the first place. Honestly, the best way to reinforce that the name was never racist or intended to be racist is to keep the name. It's like, no, it's not racist. That's not what it's about. I'm not changing my name. By changing your name, you are admitting to the fact that you did have a racist name prior. Now, of course, it is impossible for us to predict shifts in perception or vernacular as far as, you know, what we say now and how that's going to be perceived in, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, we're seeing that a lot right now, especially like on social media, where you have comedians, news reporters, entertainers who are losing opportunities or even jobs based on a tweet they made 20 years ago, when at the time, no one or definitely not the majority of the populace was offended at all by what they they said it was a little bit more acceptable at the time and i'll be honest that shit pisses me off do you want to be judged and persecuted for something you did 20 years ago that was perfectly acceptable but because society has changed in the last 20 years it's no longer acceptable is it possible that you have also changed with society it's like i discussed on that episode a long time ago about words that hurt people even though there's no context but the word retarded as i mentioned earlier was the clinical term for people with mental disabilities up until the late 90s if 
I remember correctly. Mental retardation was the clinical term. To refer to someone as retarded was not an insult, especially if referring to a retarded person. The only time that it was maybe a little out of line was if you were just calling your brother retarded or a retard as a slur or an insult when your brother was not mentally disabled. And yes, people have, you know, become a lot more sensitive to that. It's almost hate speech to even consider using that word in that way. But people won't even use the word now when referring to people with mental disabilities, just like midgets. I Now they're, what, little people? Or I think they're even okay with dwarfs. I'm not really sure. I haven't kept up on my dwarf social stances. But the fact is, people will always find a reason to be pissed off. It could be just as easily conceivable that the word midget is the preferred term by that community and referring to them as little people is an insult. It's just the way times went and what people latched on to. Your words hurt, Jeff. But like I was saying, you know, it's not fair to try and accuse, persecute, or blame someone for something that they did a long time ago at a time when doing so or saying so was considered acceptable, if not embraced. And it's actually kind of beneficial for us as society to be able to look back on that and be aware and cognizant of the fact that, yes, society does change. It's like the old quote that those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, which actually was a phrase that was originally coined by a Spanish philosopher, George Santayana. And what it really originally was, was those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But Winston Churchill later went on to steal that and change it around a little bit to say those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that is a very true sentiment, because if you do not know history, you're going to get stuck in this cyclical behavior. You're going to forget that, oh, that was bad. It's like if you have you know short-term memory and you can't remember anything past a week. And a week and a half ago, you ate a meal for the first time that you've never had, and it gave you the shits for like two days afterward. But then your brain reset, you forgot about it, Well, you might find yourself trying that meal for what you think is again the first time and find yourself back on the potty with the squirts because those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Thank you, Mr. George Santayana. And yes, I understand a lot of times the memory of certain things in history can be painful. It's kind of like the way they've been tearing down statues of, you know, Confederate soldiers and generals or people that they consider to be not good examples from our past. But to an extent, that's a good reminder. I'm not saying we should have statues erected of people that are completely not worthy of being honored, but not every physical representation or memory is strictly because of honor. And again, sometimes those painful memories are the ones that are more important because they make us more likely not to do it again. Just kind of like my big old titties being a painful reminder every time I look at myself sideways in a mirror to make sure that I go down and do my weightlifting every single night. That's a painful memory, but it's productive. So back to what I was talking about with the chicks, Lady A, my podcast graphic. You know, it is a little scary in this day and age that this digital age that we're able to potentially rewrite history very easily and essentially discard things of the past, kind of like social media posts. You know, you type something and you realize, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have phrased it that way. You go back, you edit the post. You have rewritten history. Erase from existence. 
only the people that saw it before you edited it will ever know that that's what you wrote. So that is a little scary that we have that potential right now. So one thing that's kind of a controversial topic, but I think is extremely relevant to the topic of rewriting history is the Bible. More importantly, the King James Bible. So, after doing a little bit of research, I found out that the King James Bible is still the most commonly and popularly purchased Bible to this day, with 55% of all Bible sales being the King James version of the Bible. The next runner-up in the race was the New International Version of the Bible, which was originally published in the mid to late 1970s. That makes up for 19% of Bible sales. After that, the New revised standard version that was published in 1989, 7% of total Bible sales. And after that, the New American Bible, which was published in 1970 with 6% of Bible sales. Notice all three of these Bibles start with the same word, new. Guess that would imply that something's a little different here, people. I'm going to be honest. You cannot have the word new in the name of a Bible. This is not dish soap, new and improved. Now with more Jesus. If you really want your Bible to stand out as authentic, then you should use the word old, the old standard version, the old American Bible, or I don't know, maybe let's not call it an American Bible because nothing in the Bible takes place in America. That's stupid. Also, I thought it was really odd that in just a 20-year period of time between 1970 and 1989, three versions, new versions, that's right, were released of the Bible. So yes, a lot of history, if you think that the Bible is history and not just a bunch of fairy tales, then a lot of history has been rewritten and continues to be rewritten as recently as 1989. So going back to the King James Bible, in 1604, King James authorized revised translation of the Bible to solidify his power and to settle some religious ideologies that conflicted within his own kingdom. Yeah, power-hungry king changing the finger quotes, word of God sounds like a good idea. During this revision process, he employed 47 scholars to make the edits, claiming that the existing translation they were using was corrupt. Once they finally finished their revisions and printed and published this first King James edition of the Bible, there were a lot of errors, a lot of boo-boos were made, including a printing in 1631 that left out the word not. Sounds like a, you know, harmless mistake, except for the fact that they left it out when discussing the Ten Commandments, and instead what appeared in this 1631 edition of the Bible was Thou shalt commit adultery. But a lot of the errors came from the fact that a lot of these scholars, people who lived in Britain, they didn't really fully understand Hebrew text and language, which is what they were trying to translate stuff from and then make revisions. So a lot of boo-boos got made. So we're going to fast forward to February of 1870, once again in Britain, and the Convocation of Canterbury, or let me rephrase that, the Convocation of Canterbury decided to again revise the King James Version. 
I will point out that no Roman Catholics were included in this revision process, primarily because they declined to participate. But Roman Catholics, at least that's a sector of the religion, that hails from the region about which the Bible is written. None of them were present. Just a bunch of Brits. Right, I know none of the Bible quite took place over here, but I still feel very confident that as the Convocation of Canterbury, we are capable of revising the King James Bible, despite the fact that it has already been revised. So, again, that process was started in February of 1870. Finally, after a lot of work, in 1881, a new version of the New Testament was published with over 30,000 changes to the text. Just the New Testament. 30,000 changes, not to the entire Bible. The New Testament, that's the smaller sister to the Old Testament. 30,000 changes. Also, remember, all these revisions are now happening almost two millennia for those of you who don't know what that means, almost 2,000 years since Jesus had been crucified. Going to guess maybe a little bit of the uh, accuracy of the storytelling might have been lost after almost 2,000 years. What the fuck qualified them to make these revisions? But, you know, beyond the King James version of the Bible, I would like to say that the rewriting of history and of the Bible kind of goes a little further than the actual Bible and the text itself. Like, for example, when you drive past a church and on the sign out by the road, it says LGBTQ welcome. Well, they're kind of rewriting the history of their religion because as Christians, they shouldn't be welcoming LGBTQ, but they understand that less and less people are showing up at church and they're making less and less money. So they need to be more and more inclusive, which means they need to bend the rules a little bit. And let's go ahead and rewrite history and say all are welcome. Fucking hypocrites. All of them. All right, I'll quit pissing people off with discussions about Christianity, religion, and the Bible. So the last thing I'm going to discuss on this topic today is something called the Mandela Effect. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this. It's essentially a very weird phenomenon where a large group of people seem to remember something differently than how it actually happened. A lot of conspiracy theories surrounding this, implying that, you know, there's alternate realities or alternate universes. Our timelines have split off, and that's why we remember things one way. And now all of a sudden we look back and it's like, that's not how I remember. And based on what I'm seeing, and I guess what would make sense, this concept has not been around for maybe only close to 10 years, because the reason it's called the Mandela Effect is based on the South African president, Nelson Mandela, the first president of South Africa. He died in 2013, but apparently a lot of people seem to swear that Nelson Mandela had died in prison in the 80s, despite the fact that Nelson Mandela was president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. So people kind of just didn't pay attention to the news for a while, I guess, and assumed Nelson Mandela had died in prison. So to wrap up this episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast, let me point out some of the more common things that are considered to be a part of the Mandela effect and, you know, kind of ask yourself as I'm going through these, did you get some of them wrong? I know I did. So the first thing I will discuss in regard to the Mandela effect would be regarding Looney Tunes. The very popular cartoons, including Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Yosemite Sam, Sylvester the Cat. That's all, folks. 
But if you close your eyes and imagine the logo for Looney Tunes, it seems that most people seem to remember it as being spelled L-O-O-N-E-Y-T-O-O-N-S. But it's actually Looney Tunes like Looney Music. Also, we have the popular children's books, the Berenstain Bears. Oh, sorry, it's not the Berenstain Bears, it's the Berenstain Bears. A-I-N, not E-I-N. That's another one of those very common ones when referencing the Mandela Effect. Following the theme of children's cartoons or characters, Curious George, the very famous monkey, never had a tail. A lot of people think of Curious George with his long brown tail. Nope, Curious George had no tail. Somewhat the opposite of Looney Tunes, the cereal Fruit Loops, the fruit is actually spelled F-R-O-O-T, Fruit Loops. It is not spelled like the word fruit. Another food misspelling that people often mistake is Oscar Mayer, like the hot dogs, the bologna. A lot of people think that the Mayer in Oscar Mayer is spelled M-E-Y-E-R. That is not correct. It is M-A-Y-E-R, kind of like John Mayer, not like Urban Meyer. Now I want you to think about the Monopoly Man. Picture the Monopoly Man in your mind with his top hat and his cane and his monocle. Oh, wait, he doesn't have a monocle. The Monopoly Man does not wear a monocle. You're thinking of Mr. Peanut. Going back to food misspellings, Double Stuff Oreos, not spelled with two Fs. The stuff in Double Stuff is just S-T-U-F. They only have one F. Hey, that's just like you, Jeff. I know. And based on my current cup size, Jeff is double stuff right now. Now sit down and show me your tits. A couple things related to the Star Wars franchise. I want you to picture C-3PO in your head. What color is C-3PO? Yeah, he's kind of like a bronze, goldish copper, right? Are there any other colors to C-3PO's body? If you said no, you are incorrect. The lower half, the lower portion from the knee down of one of his legs is actually silver. Also, still on Star Wars, there's a very famously misquoted line or misremembered line that Darth Vader says to Luke that is a huge shock in The Empire Strikes Back. What is that line? Go ahead and say it to yourself. If you said, Luke, I am your father, you are incorrect. It is actually just, no, I am your father. He never says Luke. It's not true. That's impossible. Kind of like the often misremembered quote from the movie Jaws, where everyone thinks the line is, we're going to need a bigger boat. No, it's a guy telling other people, you're going to need a bigger boat, not we're going to need a bigger boat. In the famous Disney cartoon, Snow White, the Wicked Queen, she looks at the mirror and says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Sorry, that is incorrect. She does not say mirror, mirror. She says magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? It's like a mirror. In the movie Silence of the Lambs, when Hannibal Lecter meets Clarice Starling for the first time, so many people think in their mind that his first words are, Hello, Clarice. But it's not. Not even close. He simply says, Good morning. What the fucking ocean in the basket? In the song We Are the Champions by Queen, at the very end, so many people think that he says, Of the world. He does not. He simply says, We Are the Champions, and then the song ends. Yes, he does say of the world earlier in the song, but at the end of the song, he does not do that. Going back to cartoon characters, the famed icon and mascot to prevent forest fires. Who was that? 
If you said Smokey the Bear, you are incorrect. There was no the in his name. He was simply known as Smokey Bear. That's it. No Smokey the Bear. Last but not least, the old children's television show Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. At the beginning of every episode, Mr. Rogers would kind of walk into his apartment singing his very popular theme song. Go ahead, I'll give you a second. Sing the first line of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood's theme song. If you said, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, you are incorrect. It is actually, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. But everyone just kind of remembers it as, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. In fact, the 2019 movie starring Tom Hanks about Mr. Rogers, they got it wrong. The title of that movie is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Whoopsie daisy. So there are a ton of examples of the Mandela effect. Think to yourself, how many of those did I get wrong? And that is kind of indicative of the way that human beings, we kind of commonly rewrite history in our own heads, in our own memories. It's really not that unusual for people to have completely inaccurate memories of how things happen over the course of time. A lot of times I will be talking to my mom and I'll realize when she corrects me as I'm remembering something a certain way that something happened completely different than the way I have been remembering it all these years. A perfect example of that would be on the Mother's Day episode earlier this year that I did with my mom. If you go back and listen to that episode, we were talking about a time where I took money she had given me to go buy clothes for a school dance and instead I bought leather pants. She insisted that it was for homecoming and I corrected her multiple times to tell her, no, that wasn't homecoming, that was prom. Following the recording and the editing of that episode, I started to give it a little bit more thought and started to remember pictures of myself with the two friends that I went to prom with in tuxedos. I was not wearing leather pants at prom. My mom was correct. Yes, mom, this is a point for you, even though this is not part of Jeff's asshole trivia. Can't be retrospective, but you were right. It was homecoming that I bought leather pants and wore leather pants to, not prom. But for all of these years, I had remembered that as being for prom. All right, so I'm going to wrap up this episode so that I can do the editing and then turn around and re-record the same episode with some changes. And then a day after I release this, I'm going to swap it out for the new one, Rewriting History. Just kidding. That's way too much work. Thank you, everyone, for continuing to tune in to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Please tell all of your friends, if you don't listen to this podcast, you're not my best friend anymore. Until next time, I'm Jeff. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Luke. I'm Jeff. That's all, folks. Good night. Went to the devil and I prayed. And I showed him the mess that I've made And I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over But the 
devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of fire And said can you turn the heat a little higher Cause I've been burned and I've been burned a million times over But he just covered me with water So I went to the Lord of the sea Now sit down and show me your tits.